0: Well, let's again go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And uh, I'm just going to read verses 18 through 20. Those will really be the text for the next uh, three sermons, at least three on my count. There may be more. It depends on how fast we go through this. But there are three outlines to this message, or at least this portion of Scripture that we'll be looking at, and whether we'll get done with them in three sessions is another point. But let's look at verses 6, chapter 6, and verses 18 through 20. I realize this is in the middle of a sentence, uh, but again, we are pretty much familiar that we are dealing with the armory that we're to put on. Verse 18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You notice that's where the period is put, finally, at verse 20, beginning with verse 18, as far as the thought is concerned regarding uh, the nature and something of prayer. So this morning we were going to come to this particular section of scripture, and we see that this scripture deals with prayer, uh, the need of prayer, or the reason for it. And so Paul here then is instructing the saints at Ephesus, uh, very simply put here, to pray. Now some would conclude that this piece of uh, what we're looking at here in verse 18 regarding prayer is a piece of the armory. And thus they would say you would have seven pieces all total beginning there in verse 14 with our loins being girt about with truth and then the following pieces. And finally, this would be the seventh one uh, listed there in verse 18 and regarding prayer others say no it's not actually a piece of the armor itself but it is just an exhortation so to speak to crown as it were the efforts of the pieces that we are to put on so that they would become effectual or children efficacious which means that they'll work and uh, so that's what they say well the thing is in my opinion it really doesn't matter how we actually handle this whether it's a directly a piece of the armory itself or as just a duty That is to be crowned, so to speak, the efforts of putting on these other pieces of of armory. The point is still the same, that we are to make diligent use of prayer in this matter. Notice he says there in the middle of that verse, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so I pull from that then, there is to be a diligent application of prayer in the lives of the people of God. We can see here that it is our duty. We can see here that it is commanded that the people of God pray. And both would, that is whether you look at the commentators who say that this is dealing with a piece of armor itself, or those who say, no, it's not. The point of the matter is they would both agree that we are to make diligent use of this particular aspect, or this duty, in order to crown, as it were, our success in resisting Satan with the armor of God that God has graciously given unto us. Remember, the passage of Scripture says that we're to take the whole armor of God. Not just one piece and think, I'm going to go out to fight, but we need all of the armor. It's not just that one piece is to be practiced without the others being taken up. We are to practice all of these things, put them all on. We're to exercise order that all of these things in order to be effective, Uh, in our fight against Satan. Now, again, if prayer is looked at as a piece, then obviously that's important. If prayer is only seen here as something that's going to be the means of making these things effectual, then again, we see something then, do we not, of the importance of prayer in this matter. Now, again, let me ask the question. I've already kind of answered it in one sense. But why is prayer important in this matter or in this regards of putting on the whole armor of God? Well, for one big, important reason. And that is, the armor that we use is just this. It is a means of fighting. It is just the means by which we fight against Satan. And while they are God's means that are given to us, they are nonetheless still simply means to us we are to put on the armor of god we are to exercise those pieces of armory yet it's not really in our power to bless those things is it do you and i have something innate within us that gives us the power to make all of these things effectual to us well the answer to that of course is no We are told to stand, but can we stand apart from God's strength? The answer is no. Notice again, back in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's the overall shadowing thing in all of these things. It is God's power. It is God's grace. It is His strength, you see, that we do all this with. And so without then prayer to god to make these things effectual to us then they won't be they'll just be fanciful things that we have in our noodle and we know what this piece is and we know what that piece is and i know the scriptures that teach these certain things and that will be all they will be to us they won't become effectual they won't really help us to fight against Satan without the means of God blessing these particular means themselves. So, to use these means without an eye to Christ in them and depending upon by faith of God's grace and His help, then we turn nothing, we turn this into nothing more than just rationalism. And brethren, we have enough of that infiltrating the... Christian life as it is. What we need in reality is the blessings of God upon all these things. Let me illustrate it this way. Let me give you an example. The Bible teaches very plainly that we should all read or hear the Word of God. Let me just put the hearing in there. We're all to hear the Word of God. Jesus tells us to take heed what we hear. He tells us to take heed Heed how we hear. We see that we are to meet on the Lord's day. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So all of this has to do with something of the Word of God. We see that we're commanded to preach. And if we're commanded to preach, then that means there is the opposite of that. That thats That we're commanded to hear the Word of God. So we know that's a duty, right? I hope no one here this morning would doubt that it is our responsibility as Christians to hear the Word of God. Even the lost folks when they come among us, are to sit. And they are to listen and give diligence to what is being proclaimed. So, all may come and all may hear. But for only some, though, the Word of God is going to be effectual. They will be converted. They will be saved. But not all. So, what's the difference in those that believed and those that did not? You see, they both came and heard the Word... They both sat and listened to the scriptures, yet they didn't all believe. What made the difference? Well, maybe they were just better hearers. Well, what made them better hearers? Well, they just really understood better. Well, what made them understand better? Let's get it back to the very back of this. What was the difference? Well, it was God who makes the difference. Who maketh thee to differ? From another, the scripture says, it's God making the word of God effectual. He makes it work within us. Those who did not believe, even though they heard with the ear the same message that those who do believe, yet there is no power of God behind that in their hearts to cause them to understand and to receive the truth of God's word. Well, that's what I mean here. We may all hear what the seven or six pieces of armory are, but brethren, it will be God and God alone who in reality, who will make these things effectual to us. It's true. We're to put them on. And I'll even say this. Even putting on the armory is really of God. I have to have desire and will and knowledge to do it. Where did that come from? But God. It's not because I'm so fanciful and in being able to interpret these things for you. It's God who in reality has made all this happen. And this is why, brethren, we need to see why verse 18 is there. Prayer will be needed then, won't it? If we want to put on the armor of God in its proper sense, using it for its proper reason, and have the blessings of God upon it, then prayer to God will be useful, and it will be needed. And even in praying, though, we need to recognize it is nothing more than a means itself. Prayer itself doesn't bless anything or anyone. It's God in reality. Prayers are not our God. That's how we get to God, is through our prayers. But the prayers themselves are only effectual because God makes them so. So that's why prayer then in this context is so important. Now this morning what we're going to do then as we go to verses 18 through 20 is my normal, is I like to kind of introduce some things. So we're going to look at prayer just in general. I'm going to take it for granted that maybe you know nothing about the the means or the, the exercise of prayer. And so we're going to kind of start at the beginning here. And we want to first of all recognize that one, first thing is that it is every Christian's duty to pray, I, You probably know that already, don't you? But it is your duty, it is your responsibility, you are accountable to pray. We're not left as an, as an option to pray. We are commanded directly by the Word of God to pray. It's not, first of all, because I think we need to pray, or I have a, a desire to pray. No, the reason why we pray first and foremost is because God has told us to do so. What if he told you not to? I have a desire to pray. I think I'll just pray anyway. Would we be disobedient? Well, yes. So the, the matter, the first crux of all this is we're told to pray. That's why we pray. And as Christians, we need to recognize it is really not an optional thing for us. We are to pray. It's true. We do see our insufficiencies. We do see our, we, and we do have our great longings and, and desires and, uh, to talk or to pray to God. We see something of our utter helplessness. We can see those things. No one can deny that. And they also are very valid to move us to pray. Yet the reason why we do first and foremost is because He's demanded it of us. Brethren, you need to pray because God said pray. He has told us directly to pray. Notice in verse 18, praying always with all prayer. That's what we're to do. John or Matthew six, when the Lord Jesus was giving the what we call the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer there, he says, Pray in after this manner. It's imperative. Pray. The verb pray. Do it. Pray after this manner. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. So again, we see where to pray. Not only that, but we're left an example in God's Word to pray. How about faithful Abraham? We see a man who was given over to praying. In Genesis 12 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 12. He says, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord. That is, Abraham did. Who, or Abram, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built it an altar unto the Lord. And notice, and called upon the name of the Lord. So we see Abraham praying. Even though God had Spoken to him, even though God had made some wonderful promises to him, even though Abraham had faith in those promises that were given to him in reality by direct revelation, yet what did we find him doing? Calling on the name of the Lord, do we not? Uh, Chapter 13, same thing, verse 3 and 4. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai unto the place of the altar, which He had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Secondly, we see an example of our Lord Jesus Himself praying. We are told He is, remember, our example in things. Hebrews 5 and verse 7 in particular, He tells us who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. So we see our Lord Jesus praying. And yet He was God in the flesh, wasn't He? He was God manifest in the flesh. He was the one who was in constant and continual communion and fellowship with His Father. Yet we see the example that He prays. Thirdly, we see Paul's great... Examples of prayers throughout his epistles, do we not? Paul telling the brethren that he prays for them. We can go to the book of Psalms and we see the prayers recorded there by the psalmists of, of that book. We can see the example of the Lord's prayer, that is, how to pray, what manner to pray, in Matthew 6 and also Luke 11. So then reality then, if... We have no prayers. We are definitely without excuse, aren't we? We are to pray because we are commanded to do so. Okay, well, if we see we're to pray, again, we're looking at this in a very general way. What is prayer? If we're to pray, if we see the duty, we see the example, we see the how to, what is prayer though? What does it mean to pray? Let me give you a couple of answers. One is from the larger catechism, uh, those of you familiar with that. And then I'll give you the one from the shorter catechism. Uh, They're very close, similar, so it'll sound like I'm repeating. But there's a bit of a difference. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of His Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. That's the larger catechism. The shorter catechism and I agree, that's I think that's true. The shorter, chasm, which, cate- shorter catechism, which I believe is also correct, says this: Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. So there's a good working definition of prayer, and so you can check your prayer life with against the larger or the shorter catechism, uh, just as a means, as a help, not as a uh, some kind of an absolute standard. We don't believe those things are that way at all. We think they're helpful, but again, they're not God's Word. But we can go all day, as it were, and give definitions to prayer, but the very doing of it is prayer itself. Where did you get that at? Well, look in the text. That's where I got it at. Look what he says in the first phrase of this. Praying always, how? With all prayer and supplication. To pray, the meaning of prayer is to pray. So again, we have no excuse, do we? We are to pray and we're to pray with all prayer and supplication. I'm not saying that to be cute. I think that's the meaning of the text there. How are we to pray? We're to pray. That's our problem. We don't pray. Even the disciples, Lord, teach us. They don't don't say teach us how to pray, do they? They say teach us to pray. That was the question, or that was what they came and asked of the Lord. Not, Lord, how do I pray more? But, Lord, teach us to pray. And, of course, then the Lord gave the model prayer on how to pray. There's the issue. That's the point. Notice the exhortation in our text again. Praying always with all prayer. We pray by praying. Here again, we see something of the fact that we're doing it. And, by the way, God doesn't come down and take a hold of your lips and begin to move them for you. You do it children like that did you when I was doing that makes you pay attention more doesn't it we're to pray by praying we are the ones who do it God is not going to literally take your lips or your vocal cords and make them exert themselves you do it now it's God behind all that he works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure we doubt that not but again it's our labors our doing now it's true the spirit of God works in us those things That we see in Romans, sometimes He helps us to pray when we do not know what even to pray for ourselves. Now, prayers from the Bible can be seen in these two fashions. One, there is praise and there is adoration. You'll see prayers that are full of praise and adoration. You see that, for instance, in the Psalms a lot. You can see it even in the New Testament praise and adoration. Even in the model prayer, we see a section on praying that deals with praise and adoration. Another thing that you will see are petitions. For our own souls, and whether you mean you're praying for certain graces in your lives or even confession of sin, you see those, or perhaps the souls of others, that God would forgive them of their sins and that uh, graces would be wrought in them and so forth. So we see basically two those two things, prayer and adoration, and petitions of our own souls and the souls of others. And the, the great thing about this, about prayer, is that it's actually a time that involves, so to speak, where we have the opportunity, as it were, to vent our hearts. You ever have things on your heart that, you know, you just can't tell anyone else or you wouldn't dare tell anyone else? Prayer is that opportunity, brethren, when we can do so. Look at the Psalms again. He says some of the most amazing, astonishing and sometimes, wild things, doesn't he? Lord, I hate them that hate Thee. How about that one? He says that. David says that in his prayer. Remember Asaph saying, Lord, when I think about You, I'm troubled. I don't get all excited and do jumping jacks and roll on the floor and speak in tongues when I think of You. When I think of You, I'm troubled. That's what he said. See, those are things we can vent to God, isn't it? With no one else around, except for Asaph. Now everybody who can read a Bible knows what Asaph said. Or here's the Bible. But it's a time for us to pour forth, as it were, our praise and adoration to God. Our heartfelt love to Him. It's a time to tell Him of our godly sorrows Our sins, confession, desires, pleading for promises of His grace and help. What a blessing then prayer is to the people of God and ought to be. The third general thing in this is that prayers are a proof of the true grace of God in the heart. And as well, it is a means to draw out that grace into actions. One of the proves that people are Christians, or that we're Christians, is that we pray. And here's a comfort, I think, to the Christian soul, that our prayers are a reflection that we do love God, that we are in communion, a saving relationship with God. Our prayers are but the answer of God, someone says, of the renewed heart. In other words, as I am in union with Him, I have a new heart, then it goes out to God. You remember in our former state, when we were cut off from God by our sins, we didn't desire that, did we? God, as the Bible says, God was not in our thoughts. But now that the Spirit has come and He's reconciled us unto God, we have salvation in Christ Jesus... We are in fellowship with Him, and thus we long for Him. We desire to know God. We desire to know something of the communion with Him. That's part of the hungering and the thirsting after righteousness that God's people have. And in that hunger, then, is the desire. And the lawful desire. Let me put it that way. The lawful desire to vent our hearts unto God. Gernal, who wrote the book, as it were, on the commentary on the book of Ephesians from verse 11 down through verse 20 on the armor of God. He said this. He says, prayer is, not, is, prayer is but the breathing forth of that grace which is breathed into the soul by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the response of the renewed heart. What does a Christian want to do? He wants to do a lot of things. He wants to obey. And then one of the things of obedience, as we mentioned earlier, is prayer. And he wants to pray. He doesn't pray as he ought. Doesn't pray as often as he should. Or even as often as he likes. would want to and desire to. But nonetheless, he prays. And none of us pray as much as we ought. But a Christian does pray more than he thinks. So there's some comfort. We don't pray as much as we ought, but we do pray more than we think we do. Let me give you some comfort in that. So praying then is a evidence of true regeneration. It's not the only evidence, but it is an evidence of true salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Scripture says. Job talks about the hypocrite who doesn't pray. Notice in Job 27. Now he prays, he just doesn't persevere in it. Look in Job 27. Here, the speaker is speaking of this very fact. How a hypocrite acts. Verse 8. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul, when God will hear his cry, No, will God hear His cry when trouble cometh upon Him? Will He delight Himself in the Almighty? Will He always call upon God? And the answer to those two last questions are, no. He will not. That's why we see the exhortation in verse 18, watching thereunto, that is watching in prayer. With all perseverance or continuing and supplication for all saints. It was said of the Apostle Paul, you remember, when Ananias was to go find him. Remember how God gave a clue as to how he would find uh, Paul or Saul at that time? He said, Behold, he prayeth. So there's the heart again of the Christian. Secondly, prayer is the means by which we increase and exercise our graces, as we kind of introduced. It makes us faithful in our obedience. Let me give you two particulars in this uh, from the Paul's prayers. Look in Philippians 1, uh, right after this book here. Listen to Paul's prayer here, beginning in verse 9. He says, "And I, This I pray. Here's what his prayer is. That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent. That he may be sincere and be without offense. That you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. See, Paul understood here something of the necessity of praying linked with the idea of really growing in grace, doesn't he? And this is what he prays on the behalf of the brethren there at Philippi. I'm praying for you for these very things that you would abound in love and in grace and in knowledge and be most excellent in them. Now, why would Paul do that? Because he knew that the means or the channel by which God would pour those things out upon them would be through prayer. Notice again, just in case you think that's a fluke, Colossians 1. That's the book after Philippians. Colossians 1, verse 9. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, that is, heard of them, do not cease to pray for you. "...and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." And so forth. I won't go to the end of the period there. It's a long one. A long sentence by the apostle. But did you see there? Prayers being offered up. Now, I realize it's for the benefit of others. But still, the point is the same. These prayers were meant to cause the increase of love and grace and knowledge in the people of God. So, hence, prayer then is to that end. To increase by God's blessing, no doubt about it the particular graces in our lives. And don't we desire that? Don't we want to know more about God's will and knowledge and that we would walk worthy of all of that? Sure we do. Well, then pray to that end. Do you want your fellow Christian to walk that way? Well, pray for his end that way. Because again, Paul isn't praying for himself here, is he? He's praying for others. A good application there will probably bring out in all of this. Now, it's true, God does command us to read the Bible. He does talk, command us to study, to have knowledge of His Word, to hear the Word of God and all that, exercise all these graces that we've been talking about in prayer. But nonetheless, it's by the means, not the only means, but it is a means for these things to grow and increase in us by the grace of God. Now, again, it's not that because that prayer is the efficient cause. That's God, isn't it? Don't make a God out of your prayer life. You're praying to God. And He is the one who helps us. In fact, in Hebrews, the reason why Jesus is the mediator for us, and He is our high priest in particular, for this reason. Let us therefore come boldly, verse 16 of Hebrews 4, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So we must, by prayer and other means that, of course, revealed in the Word of God, then to go to God and beseech His blessings upon us. You and I, I think, we're all familiar with the doctrine of indwelling sin. Uh, and we're also, I hope, familiar with it, experimentally, that is, we feel it in our hearts, we see something of sin dwelling in us, we can live sluggish lives, we can uh, not be as obedient as we ought, we can fall into some deep and gross sins, well, brethren, prayer is one of those means by which to quicken us. Again, Psalm 51, while it is a psalm, it is also a prayer. And David, seeking again to have forgiveness and pardon for his sin, he seeks to, remember he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. So there is the quickening power then of God that we find in prayer in these things. Just as when we come here, I trust You've made some effort in prayer that God would work upon the hearts of the people, work upon the heart of the pastor, work upon the heart of yourself, for that matter. That all of these feeble efforts that we, as we do come together, that they will honor, glorify God, and that they will be a blessing to us. You hear me often pray that we would, our, in all of this, that we would honor God and secondly do good to our own souls. Why do I do that? As I know something then of the understanding of this, that God is the one who blesses. Now, back into our text, he says, praying here uh, in the Spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, this is the only kind of effectual prayer. Let me put it that way. But this is not what it means. It doesn't mean that you suddenly go into a swoon and you're in some kind of a trance. Uh, You might flop around on the floor or speak in tongues and that sort of thing. It has nothing to do with that. Praying in the Spirit, in which Paul is speaking of here, has reference to the direction in our prayers. By that, I don't mean Godward, but it's to be done by the direction of God's will in, God's way. in other words, we pray in the Spirit by following the Spirit's guidelines and directions as they are revealed in the Word of God. Look in chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Same kind of phrase, in the Spirit, in the Lord, for this is right. Now, would we have ever taken that to mean some kind of a charismatic experience? Verse 1 there. You wouldn't have, would you? You just said, no, that means that we're to take the Bible and obey your parents just as the law said. In other words, if the Bible would be the guidelines of how children are to obey your parents. Well, when we come to it, it says here, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit. It's the same thing, the same idea. It is that the Word of God is this proper way and means by which we pray unto God. The Bible is the proper rule for prayer as anything else in the Christian life. Why suddenly is prayer different than any other thing in the Christian life? You know, we go to the Word of God to know how to love our wives. We go to the Word of God to know how our wives to be submissive to their husbands, how to raise our children, how children are to react. But when it comes to prayer, we don't do that, it seems. But prayer, brethren, is to be regulated by the Word of God. You remember when the Lord, when the, the Lord's disciples came to Him and, and asked directions for him, them to, pre, uh, to pray. What does He do? He gave them guidelines, did He not, on how to pray. Matthew 6, look it up. He says, after this manner, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy word be done in heaven, will be done in heaven as in earth, and so forth. He gave them guidelines. Spiritual, biblical guidelines for them to follow. That's no different for us. The guidelines that we have are to be the Word of God. And the Scriptures, again, are just full of prayers. Prayers of the saints, even sinners praying, the Lord Jesus himself praying. All that is needed to know how to pray, brethren, won't be found in some spiritual oop you may have. But, brethren, it's in the Bible. You want to be a good prayer person? You want to know how to pray well? Then we need to pray according to God's will. Where's God's will revealed at, by the way? What is the will of God? I hope you know this. If I was to catechize you this morning, what is the will of God? You should be able to come back and say the will of God is the Word of God. So we pray. We're to pray how? In accordance to His will. What is the will of God? It is the Word of God. Now, there are three things in this idea of making these things spiritual matters. First is knowledge. A blind sacrifice was rejected in the law, the Bible says. First Corinthians 14, verse 14 says, If I will pray, I will pray with the understanding, doesn't He? Another thing that makes good prayer, we're going to put it that way, is fervency. James chapter 5. five not 15. That's another James. James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual... Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What's fervency? Look it up. And then, thirdly, there's to be sincerity. I'll give you an assignment for today. Sincerity. Again, James 4 and verse 3. He says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Well, we have a few minutes. Let me close with some applications. First of all, let us see here this morning that the Scripture does demand our actions in prayer. We're to what? Pray always with all prayer. That is our exhortation. Don't leave it to your desires or leave it to some impulse to pray. You may wait a long time before you pray. Pray because you're commanded to do so. Yes, pray when there's needs, no doubt. Pray when there's desires. But pray because you should pray. We should pray because we're directed to pray. You know, and when we do pray, God gives us greater desires to pray more. Because we pray by praying. You know, often people say, oh, how do you read fast? Well, you read faster by reading Faster That's how you read faster Just by simply beginning to do it And that's the way It is with praying Same way We pray better by praying We pray more by praying It's no big mystery That we want to make it out to be Secondly though Prayer without obedience Is nothing more than hypocrisy Praying and asking God's will to be done And yet don't do God's will is the attitude of a hypocrite, isn't it? Not only is it not to pray the sign of a hypocrite, but to pray knowing you won't obey is a sign of a hypocrite. Oh, Lord, please make me obedient. And then you know in your mind, oh, there's some areas I ain't going to give up. That's a hypocrite. It's a dangerous place to be in. Thirdly, we may complain often that our lives are void of direction, they're void of what our duties ought to be and how when we do do them, they're kind of um, dry and lifeless, whatever that may mean, but I hear people say that. Well, it may be that you're not, we're not praying as we ought. That God would quicken those duties to us. And sometimes we go to those duties as if all of it lies within ourselves rather than realizing that it takes the power of God and the strength of God to do so. So pray about that. Fourthly, you can see that the last piece of armor given by Paul in verse 17 was what? Again, if we were to catechize you for last Sunday's sermon, how would you answer? Well, it was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, notice there's no period after verse 17, and he goes right into this one. So again, we see how closely connected that praying and the Bible or the Word of God are so knit together so well, aren't they? Again, as we said, the necessity of praying well is to know your Bible well. Nothing goes as well with prayer as the Word of God. It says. This doesn't mean if you're a new Christian, you don't know the RS to know, and thus you begin to pray and then it's not effectual. That's not what we're saying here at all. But as you pray, you will want to know more about what the Bible says, won't you? And thus you will grow. So prayer and the Word of God go together. And what God has joined together is, they say in the marriage ceremony, let no man uh, put asunder. So let's do so. They are both spirit wrought. The Word of God is, and the prayer is that which God gives us. Lastly, um, it's my duty as a Christ, as a minister of Christ to stir you up to these things, and so please do so. Pray more, and we'll give you some reason. In fact, I'm going to be very selfish here. Notice in verse 19, "Pray for me," he says. That's Paul. So, in all this praying, not only are you to pray for all saints, he says. He says in verse 18, but you're to pray for me, the apostle Paul, not me, apostle, but the idea. Turning it to application. Pray for me. If you want me to bless, to be a blessing in the sermon, and preach the way that you think I ought to preach, then pray. Then that I preach the way that I should pray, uh, preach. And as far as that go, praise for you. So again, these things are necessary eh, to the lost this morning. Let's admit it. You don't pray. Let's be honest. You don't pray, except maybe. You may say the grace at meals because that's what your mommy and daddy taught you. Or you may be crying out, Lord, save me and that sort of thing. And those are good and excellent things to do. But my friend, they will bring nothing to salvation. Repent and believe that. Remember this morning we said about the gospel of Christ. It is worthy of all acceptation. So trust it. Believe it. And you have eternal life.